Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love shows that we're following Jesus. It's a demonstration. It shows the work of God in your life. If we follow Jesus, pretty likely the world will hate us. At least parts of it. If we lack love, then we probably don't have eternal life abiding in us. But now, as he comes back to these issues, you'll notice he like ups the seriousness of the issue, right? He kind of ramps it up to the next level because he brings in Cain as an example of not loving your brother. And of course, that's pretty much the most literal example of not loving your brother you can really come up with, right? Because it doesn't get much more unloving than murdering your brother. I mean, I mean, on a, you know, on a scale of stealing your brother's Cheerios to murder, you know, Cain's pretty much up here, right? Okay. I mean, I'm not saying you should steal your brother's Cheerios. I'm just saying it's not as bad as murder. And so he now then uses the example of Cain murdering Abel to connect a lack of true Jesus-like love to death. He says, whoever does not love abides in death. So either we abide in eternal life, or we abide in death. Cain was abiding in death, literally, because he brought about the death of his brother Abel, showing what was really in his heart. Now, when you read through this, you can pretty much tell John is here, if you'll excuse the pun, deadly serious, right? But in truth, I'm going to tell you that it is easy to see this all around us every day. The lack of true Christ-like love in our culture has led to a culture of death. You, we live in a culture of death in the West. Okay? That baby going to be an inconvenience? Abort it. Problem solved. Those old people? Inconvenient? Just limit their medical care or lock them away and never visit them and there'll be no problem. Stick them away, forget about them. Okay, now when I say that, yes, I totally see, because some of you are thinking now, why nursing homes are sometimes necessary. Okay. But they are often the way people just throw their elders away and ignore them. So now I don't want you leaving here and going on for somebody on the internet, you know, is going to see this a year from now, and go, ah, oh, Pastor Orwell said it's evil to send your loved one to a nursing home. I am not saying that. I am going to come right out and say, it is evil to send your loved one to a nursing home, forget about them, ignore them, and never care for them again. That's culture of death. That's like they got inconvenient, so you just want to get rid of them. And we can see now throughout Europe, Canada, and in limited parts of the U.S., the rise of assisted suicide. Did you know that, in fact, Belgium, Jean-Claude's home country, I love Jean-Claude. <laughs> Did you know that Belgium recently allowed a child to choose euthanasia? Tell me how a child is capable of being Trigger warning, whatever the young people say. Um, 
Saw a video the other day of a man come out of his storefront with a hose and hosed down a homeless woman who was sitting on his street outside his store. Wherever there is no love, the culture of death abides. I mean, I get it. The guy at the store, the guy, the guy's probably sick of homeless people outside his store. Okay, I get that part. But acting out of hate and not out of love is going to solve nothing. Hosing down the homeless guy, the homeless woman in this case, outside your storefront is not, is not going to help the homeless problem. It's just me. It's unlovely. Of course, the worst part of the culture of death, of abiding in death, is that it's self-reinforcing, right? The more we hurt someone, the more they want to hurt us. The more we hate, the more hate we receive. And I'm smart enough and well-read enough to know that issues like homelessness and racism and how policing is handled and all that, these are complex issues. There's no doubt these are complex issues. They're not going to be solved magically or overnight or something. But I'm going to tell you that they are definitely not solved in a culture of hate and death. And in the end, no one and no issue and no culture can escape the principle that we either abide in life or we abide in death. So into that mess, that's the present part. Here comes Jesus, who shows us the way. 1 John 3.16. Jesus modeling what love is. By this we know love. That Jesus had happy, warm thoughts and prayers for us in our struggles. Oh! By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. Now I know John is called the Apostle of Love, right? Everybody's heard him called the Apostle of Love. I would like to rename him the Apostle of Sledgehammers. Because when he writes stuff like this, I feel like he's taking a sledgehammer to my skull. Jesus laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives. And he comes right out and tells us how high the bar is set, right? Jesus sets the bar, laying down his life for us at the cross. John calls us out. He says, well, you got to lay down your life in love. Jesus died for us. So we're to live not only for him, but we live for him when we lay down our lives for one another. Now, I get when he's talking here, you know, he talks about brothers, 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 sisters, whatever you want to call them, you know, other fellow Jesus followers. He's focusing on our fellow Jesus followers here. Because that's our first avenue of practicing love. Love 101, if you will, is to love others in the faith. Because honestly, if we can't even manage that, then there is not much hope. And honestly, we've all been on the receiving end at one time or another of not so much love from someone else that, someone else that claims Jesus. And quite possibly, we have been the one that's not so loving. Well, I mean, I know I have. Your mother's be here. I have. I know I've been there. Remember, in the next chapter, John is not going to mince words with us. He's going to say in chapter 4, verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. More sledgehammers. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he's not seen. Right? That's, that's what I mean when I talk about love 101. 
This is love 101. People together in the local church or whatnot are the first and foremost place to practice our loving of one another. But, having said that, I don't think God wants us to stop there. Why do I think that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because obviously I'm going to tell you. And even if you didn't ask, I'm going to tell you anyway. Because Paul tells us the bar might be set even higher. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 10. Let's talk about Jesus. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And when I say Jesus sets the bar even higher, I say it because Paul gives us context into that, into how Jesus loved us in the first place. Remember, John said, Jesus loved us by dying, laying down his life for us, right? Well, here's the context of Jesus laying down his life for us. He tells us that, you know, John tells us the model and example is Jesus. Paul tells us when Jesus was that model. When Jesus was already set to go and to die in our place for our sins, the ultimate expression example of God's love for his creation creatures, notice the state we were in. While we were weak, while we were still sinners, while we were enemies. In other words, Jesus didn't wait until we loved him first, or for when we could reciprocate his love, or when we got our act all cleaned up and were making good choices and getting our lives together, and becoming good, tax-paying, law-abiding citizens. He loved the ultimate love. He set the example of giving himself while we were weak sinners and his very enemies. That's a hard teaching. Honestly, first John is just so full of hard teachings, and it just gets, it's just going to get harder. But it is precisely this kind of radical love that Jesus shows that also changes the world. It's that kind of love that Jesus used to change the world, to change people. Because we tend to see love so often as a feeling or an emotion. How I feel about pizza and chocolate chip cookies. Or you know how I feel about my wife. Cain here, and Cain and Abel are the perfect example of this. 
because of what it says in Genesis 4. Genesis 4, 6-7, the Lord said to Cain, now this is, okay, I'm going to give you a real quick context, just in case you don't know the story of Cain and Abel, especially not a student, everybody knows exactly what we're talking about. Okay. After the creation, you got Cain and Abel, and they're supposed to make a sacrifice to God. And so Abel brings his sacrifice, and it's the, the kind of the, the best. And Cain brings his kind of half-heartedly, and God accepts Abel's, and God rejects Cain. And Cain is very upset about this. He's very upset that God didn't accept his sacrifice, even though he only made that kind of half-hearted effort to really do it. That's the context of where it says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, do you notice here about how God speaks of sin as having a desire? It wants, its desire is to get Cain to do things that will not be good for him. And also for Abel, in this case, not going to be very good for him either. It says it's contrary to him, meaning it's bad for him. Okay? And we know kind of the rest of the story. If not, we know Cain doesn't master his sin. It masters him and gets him to go and murder Abel. And he is punished for that murder. So that's what I mean when I talk about sin as an agent, right? A desire. Sin wants to get you to do stuff. And sin is actual acts of doing stuff. But what if love is also, in a similar way, an agent? What if love, the love of Jesus, drives us to desire not what is contrary to our good, like sin, but what is good for ourselves and others? Just as the agency of sin seeks to compel us to sin, the agency of love, which is really just God's spirit through Christ abiding in us, compels us to do acts of love. The more we allow the love of Christ to run free in our hearts, the more we will simply love others without even having to think about it. It will become natural to love, just as for the, the, the sinner, it's natural to sin. This is the power of love pouring out to us. This is why John can say what he says in the next couple verses. If the agent of sin drives us to sin, when we are living in the love of Jesus, the agent of love will drive us to do loving things. Because real love is deeds, not words. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. If anyone has the world's goods, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The old saying, right? Talk is cheap. Nowhere is it cheaper than talking about love. Because it's easy to sound loving, it's easy to talk about loving, and people write books about love, and people make movies about love, they got all sorts of great ideas about love, most of which are not very accurate. We love to talk about love. We love to sing about love. 
this person, deep down inside, knew that they were problem. And that they had done these things, and it was tearing them up inside, destroying their life. Okay? To the point where they could barely work, they could barely eat, constantly having panic attacks, all sorts of stuff. And so this person, through another friend of Rissa's, had, had kind of reached out and basically basically said, it was my fault, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm ordering on, I don't know if I can live anymore, with the guilt and with everything else that was involved in all this. And so this intermediary friend, which I approve of this, has another friend. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Don't want people to walk out of here going, there isn't any friend. It's not true.
right. And I'm so thankful that I'm in, I'm in a church here full of loving people who, who try to meet needs, who try to do the best they can. We're not perfect. We're far from perfect. We know that. But we really want to live out what it means to love Jesus and love others as best we can, whenever we can. We know it's not always possible. But wherever it is and whatever it is, however we can, we'll love Jesus both of us. We'll give you the glory. Amen.